The lectionary gives us this passage from the Gospel according to Luke this morning, Luke chapter 6. This comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes your coat, offer him also your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, don't ask for them back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Be merciful, as the Lord your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. In Matthew, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, but in Luke, Jesus preaches from the Sermon on the Plain. So I'm going to get down here on the level of the good folk like Jesus did. So um, when we want to think about the sermon, uh, the most famous sermon in history, we usually consult the Gospel of Matthew because in Matthew, the sermon is very impressive. It's 111 verses long. Jesus preaches it from a mountainside. You've probably been to the Church of the Attitudes which is on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Um, But in Luke, the sermon is a much more modest enterprise. Jesus preaches it from a plain on the level of the folk. It's 29 verses long, or less than one-third the length of Jesus' sermon in Matthew. But it has the same information, and all those great aphorisms we've been repeating for 2,000 years. Love your enemies, pray for those who curse you, Love those who abuse you. I have some questions for Jesus this morning. Trevor Wayner was a 21-year-old honor roll senior at Northern Illinois University on his first day of an internship in the Human Resources Department at the Henry Pratt Company. Now he's dead. Do we have to love Gary Martin? In Pennsylvania, a priest raped a teenager, and when she got pregnant... He arranged for an abortion. The priest's bishop wrote a letter. This is a very difficult time in your life, and I realize how upset you are. I share your grief. The bishop wrote that letter, not to the teenager, but to the priest. Do we have to love bishops who shuffle child abusers from parish to parish to parish over and over and over again? A 20-year-old student at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, flees to Syria, joins the Islamic State, becomes a prominent and useful propagandist in the English-speaking world, and calls Muslims to rent big trucks to crush Americans. Must we welcome her home? When a man punches his wife, should she turn the other cheek? This is not useful advice for her. Friedrich Nietzsche was a brilliant 19th century German philosopher and probably 
the most prominent an enemy of Christianity in history. Contemporary atheists like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris are his intellectual grandchildren. And the reason he hated Christianity so much is exactly the texts like the one I just read. He thought Jesus was weak and misled humanity into helplessness and victimhood. Christianity, he said, was a religion for slaves, spiders, and mosquitoes. Dr. Nietzsche believed in the Ubermensch, the Superman. Dr. Nietzsche was the inspiration behind the man from Krypton. Also, Sprach Zarathustra. Jesus is the antithesis of the Superman, the Ubermensch. Now, it's easy to sympathize with Dr. Nietzsche. He has a point. Jesus' advice is not a universal moral code. There are exceptions, but you can also see why Jesus asked his followers never to respond in kind to the small-minded and the mean. Jesus' words are the inspiration for Martin Luther King's ethic of nonviolence. Violence can never defeat violence, he said. Only peace can defeat violence. Hatred can never defeat hatred, he said. Only love can defeat hatred. Evil can never defeat evil, he said. Only good can conquer evil. Or, to quote another wise intellect, player's going to play, 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 play. Faker's going to fake, 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 fake. But I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off. It's good advice. Show to others the same mercy God has shown to you. Because the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. Mercy is above this sceptered sway and thrown it in the hearts of kings and an attribute of God, God's self. Without mercy, our life together would be impossible. I played a little word association game with myself this week. I said, mercy, what does that conjure for you? And I thought of kindness, gentleness, grace, forbearance, but also space. I thought of spaciousness. Merciful people give you space to be yourself. They give you freedom to fail and to try again. They give you room to fall and to get back up. They give you a second chance. After he killed 11 people at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh last October, Robert Bowers was taken by ambulance to Allegheny General Hospital to be treated for the injuries he sustained in a gunfight with the police. He entered the emergency room screaming, I want to kill all the Jews. President of the hospital, Jeffrey Cohen, is a member of Tree of Life. He lives so close to the synagogue that he heard the gunshots. The emergency room doctor and a nurse were both Jewish. The nurse was the son of a rabbi. I want to kill all the Jews, said Mr. Bowers. President Cohen was very proud of his staff. We're here to take care of sick people, he said. We're not here to judge you. We don't ask, do you have insurance? If you need our help, there we are. When they took Robert Bowers out of the emergency room and into a regular hospital room, Dr. Cohen stopped by to see if he was suffering any pain. Mercy leads to life. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
running over. You know where this image comes from? This metaphor, Jesus' creative metaphor? It comes from the first century marketplace or any century's marketplace, right? So when a generous merchant fills your vessel, your basket, your jar with any granular substance, grain or rice or beans or dry coffee or meal, he shakes it so the grains fall in together and fill in all the nooks and crannies and then he presses it down so he can get more in. That's what our life is like together when we show mercy to each other. It's full, lavish, abundant, pressed down, running over, shaken together. And without mercy, all we have is a pinched and narrow austerity. I think I've mentioned John Ortberg to you before. John was a long time ago one of the pastors at the Willow Creek Church in South Barrington. Now he is a senior minister at a huge Presbyterian church in Menlo Park, California. Ten years ago, John's daughter graduated from Azusa Pacific University. It's an evangelical college not too far from Los Angeles. And so, of course, Dr. Ortberg and his wife attended the commencement ceremony. And before the commencement itself, there was another brief informal ceremony for a few guests of the university. And the president, John Wallace, pulled three seniors into the center of the room and told the guest that these three graduating seniors had decided to serve the poor in rough neighborhoods. And then Dr. Wallace told the three students, someone you do not know has heard about what you are doing and he wants you to be able to serve without impediment. And so he looked young, one young woman in the eye and he said, young lady, your student debt of $105,000 is forgiven. And it took a minute for this information to register with her, but she shook her head and wept. And then Dr. Wallace turned to a second student and said, your debt of $70,000 is erased. And a third student, you have been forgiven your debts of $130,000. All three students were trembling. Their lives had been changed in the twinkling of an eye by the extravagance of someone they had never met. An unpayable debt, an unseen giver, an unforgettable gift. That's all of us. An unpayable debt, an unseen giver, and an unforgettable gift. Calvary's cross, the lavish grace of God, the mercy of the Lord. Show to others the same mercy that God has shown to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And that was a very short sermon. <laughs> so I wanted to leave a couple of minutes to talk about something completely unrelated. So five years ago when Keith Yamada talked to me and Kathy about coming here to be your senior pastor, can you guess what my first question was? Can my dog come to church? And since the answer was yes, here I am. This back picture was taken the first day that uh, Dudley came to my office. He was six weeks old. And the instant he got there, he crawled into this cubby in their credenza in my office in Connecticut. It was as if he were saying, the church is my home. 
this is my home. And so when I practiced my sermon, this is not a Sunday morning, by the way. (laughs) When I practiced my sermons, he would help me rehearse a little bit. Two of the loves of my life. And this is, um, this is the story of my life. <laughs> These are my Michigan friends. This was taken during August up at Northport. It's probably August 16th. This is probably my birthday party. Everybody's having a great time. This is me. <laughs> you can't see me because I was always eclipsed by my dog. But that was okay. I was always Dudley's dad. That's all I ever was. And I only bring it up because Kathy and I want you to know how much your multiple consolations have meant to her and me. They just mean the world to us. And I also wanted to just mention that Dudley had his own ministry. He was a therapy dog, untrained but very skilled. This is any Sunday morning right outside my office between the services when the kids are moving from place to place in the Sunday school. This is a children's chapel. This is any weekday. This is an ice cream social. (laughs) Pet owners know about a little poem called The Rainbow Bridge, right? Isn't that cute? Sentimental. But, you know, um, Karl Barth, was probably the greatest Christian theologian of the 20th century, made it maybe the greatest Christian theologian since John Calvin in the 16th century, and he is a little more sophisticated, and this is the way he puts it. Therefore, nothing will escape God. No aspect of the great game of creation, no moment of human life, no thinking thought, no words spoken, no secret event in heaven or too well-known event on earth, no ray of sunlight, no note which has ever been sounded, no color which has ever been revealed, possibly in the darkness of oceanic death depths where the human eye has never perceived it, no wing beat of the day fly in far-flung epochs of geologic time. Everything will be present to God exactly as it was or is or will be in all its reality, in the whole temporal course of its activity, in its strength and weakness, In its majesty and meanness, God will not allow anything to perish, but will hold it in the hollow of his hand as he has always done and does and will do. And that is my great hope. Uh, Blessing of the animal services will not be the same for the next few years, but Kathy and I feel very loved because of all of you. And so did Dudley. You made his last five years very rich and rewarding. And Lisa says we ought to sing hymn number 267 now, All Things Bright and Beautiful. <laughs>